Hey, 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 Closet Busters, come on and gather around. It's time once again to kick down those closet doors of life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, bold move expert and coming out coach, and I'm going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloseted. So come on, grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step in to living your truth as we explore more stories, tips, and tricks for living your life uncloseted. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 closet dwellers and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloseted. And today, you know what? I just think work sucks. And I bet most of you have been in that same position. Every once in a while, you'll be at a job where you just want to roll your freaking eyes. You wonder who's really in charge and you just go, leave it alone. I'm just here to get a paycheck. And sometimes you wonder, okay, is that you or is it the organization? I have to say a lot of times it is the freaking company. But who do I complain to because I'm my own boss? So I have to make my corporate culture really work for me. And when I started thinking about this, I thought, you know, there's got to be somebody out there. I could really have a conversation about bringing people out of these corporate culture closets, making things work. And of course, then I remembered my old buddy, Mike Canino, who is on the show now for the third time. He's a three-peater, and he just got a new book out. It's out called Company Culture for Dummies. I love it. I love it. I love it. And he is a hospitality guy like me, and he is just making waves all over the country talking about corporate culture stuff. So I just thought, well, it's time to bring him on because this is yet another closet that needs to be broken through. So without any further ado, here's my buddy, Mike. Hey, buddy. Hi, how are you? I'm good, good, good. And first of all, congrats on the book. I'm so excited for you, man, and making that happen. So you had a closet you came out of to become a published author. So that's very cool, buddy. I, I, you know what? I feel like I was like in there for a long time. I made this joke always with, with other friends who are writing books. And uh-huh. there's this, this thing that I saw, and I was like, oh, it's so right where you would say, oh, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, I'm writing a book. And the other person right. would say, oh, me neither. Yeah. Because... I mostly <laughs> talked about, complained about, whined about, stressed about writing a book more than I think I wrote the book, but uh, uh, it eventually all came through me and out into the world. Well, let's start with that because there, there is a closet right there in writing a book. I think, <laughs> I believe, and I think we've all heard this, you know, now I'm making an assumption that we've all heard this, but everybody's got a book inside them. And why do you think it's such a struggle at times to like really just bring it out, to get that book out of you? You know, I think... I, I don't know. This is just my assumption writing this book. So, you know, it's in the, it's in the dummy series. So those four right. dummies books that have been around since the early nineties. And right. so they came to me and said, Hey, we're looking for someone to write a book. Uh, we think this is an interesting topic. And we kind of took it from there and, you know, created some other ideas around it. But mm-hmm. for me, the challenge for this book was that I needed to blend the theory with a mm-hmm. lot of how to, because, you know, think about the, the dummies books I have. I started my my journey as a sommelier with wine for dummies, which a lot of sommeliers right. probably wouldn't admit, but uh, there's there's it's a reference book, and so right, for me, right. I couldn't just go in and sit down with the book and say, oh, here's here's what I think. It had to be here's what I did, and here's what I mm-hmm. think you do, and then bundling it into something. So you know, I think in talking with other authors, and, and maybe this is true for you as well, uh, when you were writing your book, it's sitting down and saying, okay, how do I how do I curate it all together because it's easy to sit down and say let me just write a thousand words on whatever topic right and and that was easy but it was harder to say how do i turn this into something that makes sense and is 
this chapter to that chapter and there's a bigger IP. Did you find that writing your book? I did, you know, and it's interesting because, and I, I had a hard time getting a publisher and finally just kind of went the generic, somewhat self-publishing route. Um, but I got it from everybody. Oh yeah, we don't need another coming out story. We don't need that. I'm like, well, but this isn't a coming out story. That's not all it is. It's like, okay, here's the path. And then here's like the how to's, here's some advice, here's some theories around why people do this stuff, you know, all this sort of stuff. And I was totally cool with it, but it is a challenge because when, yes, I could write it, I could just write my mem quote memoir, so to speak, <laughs> and it would have been a piece of cake, but I didn't just want to do that. I wanted to bring something that somebody could read and say, oh, wow, that makes sense to me. And luckily those who've read the book, they're like, yeah, this, this totally speaks to me. You gave me some good advice. You've given me some guidance and, um, and it kind of pays off because I just had an interesting conversation last week where somebody says, you do realize you have like a coming out curriculum in that book. And I'm like, Oh, I hadn't really thought of that. <laughs> yes, I should. <laughs> you, 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 uh, without even meaning to, you put it together in a way that was curated. Yeah, yeah. Well, no? I, I definitely curated it where one, the chapter will be part of the story and then the next chapter will be, okay. So if you're in this space, so, you know, if you're facing the whole faith-based stuff, Here's how you can get through the faith-based piece of being out, being openly gay, lesbian, bi, whatever you are. So it's really worked. But this conversation this week was with somebody in, who's in a very high corporate job. And he goes, you know, you could really come into corporate America and start teaching this as a curriculum. And I'd never even thought about it. Like, oh, that's kind of an interesting concept. So, so yeah, you and I are very much on the same page there. Man. So. Well, and I, and I love to, I think part of you know, <laughs> what you were asking is like coming out of the closet as an, as an author, like busting mm -hmm. out. It really is. There's something about, you know, with, with your book and, and with this book, and, and I imagine everyone feels this way. There's a little bit of like, I'm putting this thing out into the world. And yep. the same way that if you're, if you're coming out of, of anything, if you're, if you're busting out of any closet with a bold move, as right. you like to say, when you're disrupting the status quo, mm -hmm. which I always think of you as the guy to go to when that happens, yep, yep. you're making a big statement that people can judge you on. And so, you know, I think part of putting the words on the paper and putting the book out into the world is saying, whoa. I can't back off of this. It's not just a conversation I had with someone around a table and I could say, Oh, well, I didn't mean it. I wrote it and it's in the world. And so yeah. that's pretty bold. Well, it is. And you know, you're just getting started on this journey, but I think what's cool is you're also a speaker. So you get that. That's another bold thing. And once you start making these bold moves, you realize, Oh, this all kind of starts to dovetail together. I'm now putting myself out on stages and I'm having a perspective. Now I'm putting myself out in the written word and I'm having a perspective. And you've done enough of these podcasts that people are hearing you. And you, the more we do that, the more we kind of stand in our power, but it puts us out there in that space where, okay, we've said this. So now we got to stand behind it, you know, <laughs> and it always shocks me when somebody will call me on something about my book. I'm like, Oh fuck. I have, <laughs> when did I say that? <laughs> Which right. said that because it's like, um, okay, yeah, I guess that's what I did. I'm, I always want to say, can you tell me what page that's on so I can go look at it? Yeah, let me go. Let me go understand the context of what yeah, I was saying. Let me, yeah, let me say a little more so I can, you know, really get there. But uh, so I know this really has probably been birthed out of your passion. Your passion has always been being of service, working in the service industries, everything from being a flight attendant to to you know doing the restaurant stuff that you've done and, and leading at a BP level and all these good things so what was the real impetus I mean there had to be something inside you Mike that says I see this culture stuff and basically this shit's got to stop so yeah <laughs> well I think it's it's two things for me the first was that 
you know, early on in my career, when I first got interested in culture, it's way back in the day and, you know, 17 years ago when I was working at a place called Popbelly Sandwich Shop, uh, mm-hmm. this, this sandwich place based in Chicago, I was there from about seven stores to about 200 stores, helping them grow. I was in charge of training and, you know, I kind of did every job as you do along the way. Yep. And one of the things I realized that first made me think culture matters was, you know, we had the same handbook, we had the same training program, we had the same design yep. and music and food at every location. But it would feel so different, you know, when you would go visit one location versus the other. It was like, well, that doesn't feel the same. What's going on? And so that initially got my, my curiosity up. And so I started thinking about that from different teams within the same company, yep. um, different locations within the same company and different cities and things like that. And how culture is this thing that is not a set it and forget it. And so that was my first thing is people really need to understand all the little levers that go into it because it isn't set it and forget it from the top. You don't write it into your employee handbook and then say, that's it. That's the culture. Mm-hmm. It's happening every single day. And people just don't understand that how they show up to work, how they talk, how they have a one-on-one, how they answer the phone, all of that is culture. So I wanted to address that. And the second thing is that I think that there is, especially as we watch so many, you know, you and I live in California. And so we see all of the tech companies get so yep. much credit for culture. Although a lot of them are getting in trouble for culture these days yeah, as well. Exactly. But a lot of them are getting credit because it's like, oh, well, they have nap rooms and massage rooms and slides that take you from floor to floor. And what I've seen is I've toured, and you've probably seen this too a lot when you go out, is that then all of those places in middle America, all those places yeah. that don't have huge budgets think, well, if only I could put a slide in, I would have culture like Google, but I can't do that. So woo is me. I'm not going to work on it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to write a book that said, culture is not about perks and benefits. It's not about you know, I always call it the trifecta of startups, snacks, stock options, and ping pong tables. Yep. It's about relationships at work. And no matter where you sit in the organization, you can have an influence on the culture. And so I wanted to write a book that really addressed what I think is, is a very sad state of culture, which is we keep treating it like it's a perk or benefit that we can pull levers and take it off the shelf. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. You know, it's so interesting as you were saying that because you and I do kind of similar work, but yet different because yeah. I do the whole culture stuff around LGBTQ acceptance. And, and I'm starting to play a little bit in the realm of, okay, I want to go into some of these corporate cultures and talk about what are these freaking closets? Quit it, <laughs> you know? But as you said, culture is not, you know, a set it and forget it. The first thing that went through my mind is as I'm doing this stuff on college campuses, it's like, no, 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 no. You can't just, you just can't make it okay for this semester to be <laughs> LGBTQ embracing. Because every day it changes. There's going to be something that's going to crop up and, okay, now we got to keep working on this. And the same thing applies in the work you're doing. Sure, you can put this beautiful corporate culture with the slide, but then what happens when the slide doesn't motivate anymore? What are you <laughs> going to do then? You know, Where do you keep embracing your culture and showing them, hey, we love you, we care about you, we also want to be productive, we want to hit the bottom line, and we, got, you know, we want to maintain market share. But then you get to those spaces where it becomes mundane. And mm. I think that's where so many companies, even the best, realize they've got to constantly keep evolving. And yes, that was Rick snapping for those of you who heard that weird <laughs> little noise, because it is like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? How do we keep this going? Yeah. But you're out there talking and speaking. What are some of the biggest challenges? I know that's like, okay, Rick, that's a freaking loaded question. <laughs> but like, what's some of the common things you're seeing over and over again when companies are like, okay, we want Mike to come in. We want him to talk about this stuff. But what is it they really are looking for? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's, it's, I always joke that people never really call and say, they do call and say, oh, we want to work on our culture. And so, 
you know, I think what they expect is for me to do some kind of survey and then say, okay, here's what you need. You need X amount of slides and X amounts of ping pong and X amount right. of open space. And what I say is, well, tell me about the business results that are happening because of this broken culture. I want to talk about the sales you're missing, the innovation you're missing, the talented people you're not hiring, the people you're losing, the lack of engagement that's going on. So your employees are not using discretionary effort to take care of your, your customers or your products. I want to talk about that because that is what I think culture really does. And I, I open that in the book. One of the first chapters is let's forget all this culture stuff about it being Shangri-La. Let's hold hands and dance around. Let's right. talk about the real impact here. And mm -hmm. you and I, you and I play the same card talking about diversity and inclusivity. This is not about just morality and what's nice to do. Right. It's right. about this actually changes your organization for the better. Mm -hmm. And so the number one thing that I see um, almost, almost universally that people kind of call and say, Hey, we need help with this is they, they'll talk about employee engagement. And so they've got all these employees who, who show up to work, but not really, you know, yeah. they're, they're physically there, but they're not bringing their best ideas. They're not bringing their, their, um, you know, solutions and they're not bringing that discretionary effort to really take care of each other. And so it's, amazingly easy to solve, but it takes making, you know, a, 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 a line from your, from your world that I'm going to borrow is making bold moves. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. you've got to kind of take your company culture out of the closet. And instead of it all being about, you know, don't bring yourself to work, we need more people to bring their whole damn self to work, yep. including yep. your managers. Like yep. when we sit down and have a conversation, if you're upset about it, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be okay with, with that. I was talking to someone recently and I said, they said, well, I'm worried when I give this feedback to the employee, they're going to get upset. And I said, that's all right. Like your job as a manager is to be caring and thoughtful, but also honest. And then once you give the feedback, you have to sit there and deal with what the person says. And if they're upset about it, but you've been thoughtful and kind, but also honest and they're upset, that's on them. Mm -hmm. If you lie to them, if you sugarcoat and they get upset, that's on you. Yeah, that's, like that. that's the biggest thing I think is I really focus on improving the relationships of the people at work. I agree 100%. And again, as you were talking, of course, I'm paralleling our two worlds here because if students don't bring their full self, <laughs> their college experience, I'm not, I'm not saying they're drinking and all that stuff. That's one piece of it we all know. But if they don't feel like they can bring their full self to the experience, they have higher dropout rates, they have higher depression rates, they have less engagement with the university. And what does that do for the university? Oh my God, we are investing money and we're losing money because kids aren't sticking around. Now we gotta go recruit new kids. Now we gotta, you know, it's all this stuff. Then you have a reputation of, oh, this school isn't accepting them this or that, whatever it may be. And it could be <laughs> culture, it could be, you know, gender, it could be any of those things. And it's the same exact thing. And I've been doing a lot of conversations with universities lately. It's like, okay, but what is it you want most? Tell mm. me what you want most. I can do the talks around, you know, <laughs> LGBTQ stuff. But once we get that done, what is it you want out of it? Which is the same exact thing you just said. What is that result you're trying to achieve? Because if I don't know what that is, then I can't go talk to your students or your staff about how do you engage with the LGBTQ community on campus to make it more successful for everyone involved. And that's where the challenges often arise is they've got to give us guys that are, you know, us smart guys that are making all <laughs> the bucks, right? But they've got to give us something to like lean into so we go, okay, here's the problem. 
So now let's work on what can the possible solutions be. What are you, what is the problem you're hearing a lot? I'm curious if it's, it's probably similar, right? <clears throat> it's very similar. Students are not engaging. They, they feel like, oh, I can't do that. And so I'm just going to do the bare minimum, which is unfortunate because for the student, they own some of that too, just like an employee. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, you want that promotion, but you're not, you're not putting yourself into it. But if you don't feel safe to put yourself into it, then that's a whole different ballgame. In fact, I remember some, either one of Simon Sinek's videos or talks that I've seen, he talks about if your employees don't feel safe, that's on you. Mm. I think that's such a beautiful way to look at it. If those students don't feel safe, that's on you, the college and university. And it, it brings up a lot of stuff when you say something like that. But it also opens the doorway to go, okay, so let's get underneath that. Why don't they feel safe? Why don't they feel like they want to be engaged? Mm. And then we can start fixing the problems. Well, and what I love too is, is, you know, I've known you for a while, so I know your approach is not, hey, we just all need to hug each other and make it okay. You're, you're saying the same as I am. No, go have real conversations. Go have bold talks. Disagree. Argue. Deal with the real stuff here so you can have a real conversation, right? Yep, yep. No, I agree because, I mean, one of the things I come up against most often is, okay, you want the LGBTQ students to feel safe, to have a voice, but what about the kids who are, you know, just really stalwart Christians? Yeah, I want them to have that same thing but I want them to meet where they can have conversation. This isn't about we're yeah. right and you're wrong, even though at times <laughs> I can get that. But it's like, it's about teaching us all as humans to find that middle ground. And again, in your world, you know, as I was thinking about this conversation and the culture stuff that I do in different ways, I thought, this isn't about saying the employer's wrong or right. This isn't about saying the employee's wrong or right. It's about where do we create that beautiful secret sauce, so to speak, in the middle where <laughs> people are engaged and they want to come to work. They want to do this because they want the company to thrive and the company meets the employees in that same space. That to me is the perfect elixir. Yeah. And, and I think it comes from probably, and this is again, you and I should go on like a tour together. We should. Um, we should. I think it's probably similar in the university world that it is with a lot of the folks I work with where it's ultimately about stripping away the the company at all and saying, this is a bunch of people who have come together collectively. So mm -hmm. if I'm an employee and I'm thinking like, oh, the company wants this, what is that? I always say this when I do, you know, I'll work a lot in stories. I'll go find what are the yep. stories the employees are telling and what does that mean? And one of the things I'll hear sometimes is, well, the company does this or that. And I always say, well, the company doesn't do anything because it isn't anything except for a website. So right. what do you mean when you say that? Who's specifically yeah. and what? And, I, and, it, and it's always about a specific manager, a leader, an executive, right. someone else, another team, another, another whatever. What's interesting is when you start to have that conversation, much like you're saying about maybe some super, super, super conservative, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Christian and uh, folks on the LGBT side or, or just on the other side of the world here, um, having conversations if we stop looking at each other as those labels, as company and employee, as school yep. and student, as LGBTQ and Christian, and say, okay, well, let's talk about what's going on. It's amazing how that can shift the environment, which is really all culture, whether a campus culture or a company culture. Absolutely. It's really all it is. Well, culture to me is, it's a collective of people. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And again, I'm not, by no stretch of the imagination, am I saying I'm perfect at this because I can get in my space, but I also <laughs> know how to step into that space. And it was interesting. Our daughter was over. She's first year um, 
first year finishing up at her college and she brought some girlfriends over and they were talking about different things because she's very much the advocate and everything. And, and suddenly somehow we got on the subject of the Love, Simon movie and boy, she got on her soapbox. She goes, yes, but you know, that movie was just designed for the gay white male and there was no representation of other cultures and everything. I'm like, okay, so what is it you're really trying to say here? Help us understand this. And it was, and God, I can tell she's my child because she was in her, <laughs> her court, and this is where she was standing. But it was so interesting to watch that dynamic unfold because it shows what happens when this is all you see. And finally, she started going, well, yeah, I get that. You know, there was the African-American guy that you know, they're falling in love with, all that sort of stuff. But sometimes that's the hardest piece of this whole culture work is where do we find the common ground? Mm. And where are you not afraid to have the big conversations? That's a biggie. Yeah. You know, and even as a manager, I remember all my years as a manager and at one point I was <laughs> way up the ladder there and there were still times that I was just like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. But when I realized this wasn't about me and it wasn't necessarily so much about the person, it was about here's the expectations that aren't being met and aren't being managed and we need to fix this. And when you can go at it from that perspective, yes, there are some personal things. I realize there's personal things about each of us that do show up in the way we work. But to come at it from the perspective, I'm giving you this feedback in a loving, compassionate way, as you said, so that you can grow or so that we can fix this. And if it can't be fixed, then it's probably better that we aren't working together. It's that simple. Yeah. You know? Well, it comes down to, you know, I really believe that culture is, a, is really just a set of beliefs, right, that play out with yeah. actions. And I also believe that beliefs are just stories we tell ourselves. It's stories we tell ourselves about what's right and wrong. Like if you and I were to go to, well, you went to Japan, you did a TEDx yep, in yep, Japan, yep, didn't yep, you? Yep. And so, you know, there's a different culture there. And so why is there a different culture? Well, it's because they have a different set of beliefs, which are yes. based on stories they've been told that they tell what's the right thing to do, what's rude, what's not rude. And so culture is really just a series of beliefs. And if it is true that culture is a series of beliefs and that beliefs are just stories, then we can think differently about it. And I think ultimately the thing you were just saying that I notice a lot is, and there's a whole chapter, a whole section on beliefs at work and stories in the book. Right. And what you were just talking about is if at the end of the day, my belief is that I don't care enough about your opinion to listen, mm -hmm. then you're correct. We should move on. But if my belief is just, I think it's the right thing to do to do this in a meeting versus that, if I could be open to a conversation, I might right. be able to change my story. Right. And that, I, I, that's playing out. I think, I think part of the way out of this is getting, you know, bigger than what we're talking about here. But if you think about the culture of our country right now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of in a, in a, <laughs> we're still waiting for what, what happens what post if, what Roseanne if, here. Yeah, right? Exactly. I think that the issue is the belief that I see Mm -hmm. that is affecting this culture is the story people are saying about if you have a different opinion than mine, then we can't talk. Yep. And that belief is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. And it's very dangerous because it causes, again, I'm going to go back to that story about my daughter. At one point she just shut down and I'm like, mm. okay, I get this because I, she is my daughter. <laughs> she <laughs> has that DNA in her and dad is that probably passion. That dad has probably, you know, mirrored this in many different ways. But then I realized when I asked her, so what is it you really believe in about what you're talking about? It changed the whole dynamic. 
share with me what your belief is. How would you have liked to have seen them done this movie different? What could be better? We don't tend to ask those questions anymore. And I'm right there with you. Mm. Where we are as a country right now in a world, it's like, okay, we're not talking and listening. It's, this is what I believe. And if you don't agree with me, then we don't have any room for each other. Yeah. And that's a very dangerous place. Well, and it's, 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 uh, it's such a dangerous place and it's such an easy weapon for the people that want to divide everybody to play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you take it into the workspace. And I think that's where a lot of company cultures start to fail when it's so rigid. And again, I get it. Profitability, revenues, market share, you know, brand image, all that stuff plays. But when it becomes so rigid that there's no room to flex, I'm not surprised that some companies completely fail. Or they thrive out of fear. And, yeah. And that's yeah. what's really scary is when a company is thriving because people are so afraid to do anything but what they've been told they got to do or you're out the door. Then failure exactly. is always just one step away in my opinion. Well, and in addition to that, so many of the cultures where people just aren't intentional about it. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, somebody reached out recently and said, oh, you know, we want to... Um, we want to get started in creating our culture. And I was like, well, how many employees do you have? And it's like, oh, we have, you know, it was like 60 people in an office, like a, a tech company. And they said, well, you have a culture. And they're like, no, 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 we haven't defined it yet. And I was like, I know, but you still have one. And right, so you have one, you just aren't. You're not aware of it or you're not intentional of it. And so the challenge becomes not only what you were saying about somebody being so rigid that people can't do anything, but also where what's valued is unclear. And so people play safe. And so it's, it's unclear, it's inconsistent. And so it makes it very hard for them to make bold moves mm-hmm. and to, to, you know, whatever it is, whatever kind of closet we're talking about, it makes it hard to step out because you don't know, is it safe to do it? Am I safe here? Yep. Yeah. And that's where this whole safety thing comes in. You know, I had a conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago, because w- I'm getting ready to actually do something that's in my wheelhouse, but it's a, like a, a, just a new twist on it. I'm doing a men and masculinity program for college and university. Oh, cool. And I know I'm going to take these guys to places they've never been, but it <laughs> comes to that space of I'm going to be testing their beliefs and I'm going to be looking at their values. And I'm also going to see where that makes them feel safe and makes them feel unsafe because when they feel unsafe, what's the story behind that? What's the belief behind that? Because if we can help re-engineer that in a healthy manner, I believe this is where men can step into their power. They can be vulnerable. They can be empathetic. They can see things and they can say, let's have a dialogue about this. And so it's just, it's an interesting space to play. So, uh, so a lot of the companies you're working with, I mean, are they a certain size or it sounds like, you know, you want to go from 60 people on up the ladder right now. It depends. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things. So sometimes the sometimes it's it's you know, I do probably probably 50% of my business is speaking and so I'm going to a bigger event and I'm speaking on stage and in front of more people whether that's a company having their annual, you know, employee meeting, their annual right. GM meeting or whatever the case is to a conference run by an association or something. So that's a lot of it. On the workshop side of things where I go a little deeper with a company, mm-hmm. um, it really depends. Sometimes it's saying hey, we want to think through what the employee life cycle looks like here from a culture perspective. And, you know, maybe that's five to 10 people in a room where I'm working with the the HR and and people team. Mm -hmm. Um, Other times it's saying, hey, we really need to shake up the way our leadership team has relationships with employees here 
because we realize it's damaging culture. And so in that case, it might be, you know, 30, 40, 50 managers at a, at a manager retreat. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it is a little bit all, I don't know. I would say that it's, it's most often companies that are in the like hundred total employee to a thousand yeah, yeah. total employee space. So I'm curious because, you know, I, I have this happen too when I get on stage. It's either, well, it go, runs the gamut, but I always find it interesting when I push people to this space. They're not, they're not comfortable in it, you know, because one of the first things I say when I get on stage is, well, I got to tell you all one thing. And one thing, if you walk out of here without remembering this, then my time is wasted. Every one of you is in a closet. And of course, there's the immediate, <laughs> uh, you know, who is this guy? And of course, then, of course, the whole LGBTQ gay thing. And that's fine. That's why I do it. I kind of do it for that whole shock value thing. Well, it gets attention, doesn't it? It gets attention. Yes, <laughs> because then it gives me the leverage. But but it, then it gives me that easy way in. But you know what? I got this all figured out because guess what? I'm gay and I figured this out and I've been out of the closet and I've used the same closet over and over again to continue to do what I do with my life. Now, suddenly, they're like, oh, okay, I see. He's kind of doing this metaphor thing. <laughs> I'm just curious. I have come off stages and kind of had some people totally embrace it. And then I always get one or two that are like, I don't agree with you. Have you come across that where suddenly, you know, you come off, you've been doing this whole culture thing and you feel like somebody's hanging back or maybe I'm sure in a workshop, you could always tell the manager who's like, okay, I'm just here because I have to be here. <laughs> um, you know what the big thing is that I get is I get the, oh yeah, this sounds all great and wonderful, but my boss is awful. So what do I do about that? Yeah. I get that a lot. I get a lot of like, hey, it would be awesome. I'd love to do all this stuff, but my boss doesn't care and is horrible. And I always say, well, great. Well then, you know, how much of your relationships with each of the people you talk to are you responsible for? And it's like a hundred percent. Great. So change those, yeah. change the things you talk about. Is your boss actually there with you during your one-on-ones with your employees? No. So talk about the stuff you think matters. Is your boss there when you're having a, perfor- in a performance review? Because right, right. I kind of take down the performance review in this book as it stands. And so I say, sure, you may have a form that your HR department or your manager gave you, but you're still responsible for the conversation around that form. And you can change that. And so we don't have to be victims to the bigger culture. But that's the one I get a lot is the, uh, and, I, and I notice it too, when I'm in a smaller workshop, I'll see that two people kind of look at each other like, well, if Bill only heard this, you know, right. yeah, it's so interesting. It's the manager. Yeah. It's always, Oh, if such and so were here, or could hear <laughs> yeah. this, you know, it's always so interesting, which as a coach, and I know you kind of play in this world too. It's like, well, but that, then what does that say about you? That's <laughs> right. You know, without being an asshole, I find a way to say that to somebody, but it's so interesting because it is then a reflection of, okay, but what is it about you that's pushing this button in you that you need to fix and change? You know? Well, yeah. And what an awful way to live that it's like, well, I'm just, yeah. I can't change it. Yeah, you can. Like, unless your manager is literally standing over you every second of the day mm-hmm. telling you what to do, you've got a whole bunch of stuff you're responsible for mm-hmm. that you can make a better culture. Because, you know, I, I always say, do you ever go to meetings and your manager isn't there? Yeah, great. Change the culture of that meeting. You ever yeah, have exactly. phone calls? Yeah, change that. Mm-hmm. Change it one at a time. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I remember when I was training some of my managers and I said, and here's the bottom line. You and I, we're going to have some times where you absolutely can't stand me and I can't stand you. (laughs) But I want you to realize this shit doesn't flow downhill. You can be the dam that stops the shit flowing downhill. Mm -hmm. I want you to be the manager you want me to be to your employees. Yeah. And they um, are your supervisors. And then your supervisor, I want that to be the stuff that flows downhill. 
And it was amazing as each time I would, you know, have new managers come on board, they realized Rick pretty much talked his talk and walked his walk in that. It's like, mm. we can have our thing, but because I was in so many different roles that I realized I can be the dam that stops this bullshit coming down the pike. Right. You know, I can change it because I don't want to be that same guy. I could go uphill and go, okay, you need, you and I need to go in the ring and let's go round and round with my, you know, upper echelon bosses. But when people feel like they don't have any control, I go, you have much more control than you think you do. Yeah. You know, yeah. even in, in the work I do, even when someone's coming out of the closet, like, Oh, I don't have any control of this. I'm like, really? You don't have control to go find someone that you can be friends with who's going to embrace you for who you are. Even if this person or that person isn't, I realize it may be your wife. It may be parents. But you have control to go create a whole nother world of people who are like, we get you, we dig you, you know? And I think people in general, all of us tend to go, I don't have control of this until we realize all you have to do is literally breathe and you have enough oxygen now to go do something different. It's yeah. That simple. It's, it's like, um, it's, uh, you know, Mel Robbins, she has that book mm -hmm. called the five second rule. And it's like, you can make a different choice. You have, there is space between, and, and Victor Frankl, I mean, this is classic Victor yeah. Frankl. You have space between stimulus and response. Yeah, yeah. Well, I always say, you have a choice. You can react or you can respond. I love two, that. Two, the two things are totally different and I pound that into people's heads all the time. Reaction is that first thing that comes out and trust me, I'm a reactor so I can, I can live and breathe by this. And teaching myself to respond is simply a breath. It's <laughs> a breath. And then, okay, so how now do I want to respond to this? So cool, cool stuff. You know what, Mike? Three times you've done it. You brought it home again. I love you, man. I love these conversations. And you're right. We probably should be doing something together somewhere. I know. That would be fun. I think there's, there's definitely something here. I mean, just this whole show, we've been tossing the ball back and forth. Exactly. We're like a Serena and Venus here today. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, but there's so much good here. His book again is culture, corporate culture for dummies. I love it. I think it's, it's just going to change. I've already seen, if you could see some of Mike's social media, it's like people are taking the pictures with the book. It's flowing. I know you're getting ready to start some big pushes here in July and August for that. And um, just wish you all the best of luck, man. And I know you're going to just keep changing the world. So thanks again for being who you are and, and sharing yourself with my world. And it's another closet. Did you guys ever think you'd be hearing a closet story about corporate culture on this? <laughs> Hello, it is a huge closet in this world. So anything you want to just leave our listeners with some little piece of advice if they're like struggling in their own workplace because you already heard it. You cannot be the victim. You can change this. But um, what would what would you like to leave them with, Mike? Yeah. One more thing. You know, I think the big thing, first of all, it, it's, I'm so excited to have been on three times. It's always fun. The conversation with you always, you know, I feel like I'm speaking at the height of my intelligence when I'm around you. So thank you for creating this space for us and for having me on again. Okay. I'm and, blushing. Nobody can see it, but Rick is really blushing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the biggest thing I would say, if you're out there, if you're, you know, if you're an independent individual contributor in a business or you're managing a team or you're running the whole thing because sometimes the people at the top who are running the whole thing feel overwhelmed as well often yep. they do you know that you coach a lot of executives and here's what i would say get really specific and clear about what you want work to feel like what do you want it to be like there every day uh take time and just go you know kind of journal for a little bit and say how do meetings go? How do people share? What does that look like? And then do the big, bold thing by taking that little story 
and taking it out of the closet and starting to share it with people in your organization. Because I promise you, they will help you find ways to create that, that perfect vision of what it looks like. And, you know, no matter what it is, being specific and clear about what great looks like for your business, for your culture, is the only way you're ever going to be able to achieve it. And I think that's a big, bold move. That is. And it's a, it's a big, bold move in every aspect of life. I can't tell you how many people I work with and are like, well, I want to do this. Well, how, you know, describe that to me. Well, what do you mean? I'm like, <laughs> I can say I want to lose weight, but if I don't say I want to drop 50 pounds and I want to be able to put on a size 38 pant, I want to maybe instead of having man boobs, I want to have man pecs, you know, and, <laughs> and I want to not sweat every time I go on stage, whatever it is. And okay. So I just, there was Rick's true confessions here. Right. But it's like, you have to get clear and people don't get specific and clear. And then they wonder why we can't get what we want out of life. Not saying it's going to get handed to you, but the clearer you are, the more specific you are, the more beautiful things that you can make happen for you and all those around you. So um, you nailed it there, buddy. Definitely nailed it. So again, bud, thanks so much for being here. Mike Ganino, Corporate Culture for Dummies, and just go grab it. If you're Even if you're not the person in charge of it, you are in charge of your own experience at your workplace. So, thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end, but that's okay. We're going to be back in just a couple of days sharing more stories, tips, tricks, and wisdom for helping you live your life uncloseted. And you know what? You can share it too. Just take a few moments if you like and if you believe in this podcast and share it with someone you know today. Share it from your phone, go share it on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you are. Maybe even give us a rating review because you know what? It's all about the planet living their life uncloseted. I'm Rick Clemens, host of the show and the guy who helps you make those big, bold moves. And I hope you never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted. Catch you real soon. Take care, everyone.